For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Today's scripture reading is from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out her hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord. Uh, and thank you for adding the female pronoun there. Amen for that. So good. Uh, can we pray as we dive into this part? Uh, God, thank you for your grace and for your love. Um, uh, give us the courage to let in what we can let in and even resist what we need to resist. Amen. Uh, so, this is the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, and so that's what season of the church calendar we're in, and we follow the church calendar at Genesis uh, because it's a way of anchoring ourselves in the bigger story, because we get lost in our own small stories. And so it starts with Advent, where we wait for hope, we wait for light, and we all can relate to that. Uh, as things in our lives don't go as they should go or we hope they would go and we're just waiting. And then this 12 days of Christmas where we celebrate uh, that the incarnation of God has come. And then during Epiphany, Epiphany means to cause to appear or to bring to light. So it's a season of enlightenment. And it's been interesting as I've tracked back over the last four weeks, New Beginnings Sunday, four weeks ago, we heard from Mitch and Cassandra, and were they not amazing if you were here? Cassandra's here. Uh, oh my Lord, I keep hearing about that. Like, who were those people? Um, and I'm like, I know, they were so good. But they shared their vulnerable and courageous stories of their own new beginnings. And then I shared my own sense that God is maybe inviting us into a season based on our mission uh, of learning to love, doing that hard and courageous work. And when I say learning to love, uh, love is a weird word. It feels squishy and maybe syrupy. I think love is the strongest force in the universe, and it takes great courage and great vulnerability to learn to do it, to love ourselves, to love God, to love others, and to be loved by God. That takes tremendous courage, more than we think. So when we talk about learning to love, um, if, if you are tempted to put that on a, like, kindergarten category or something, I think it's, like, PhD-level stuff. Um, so, a couple weeks ago, Deva gave 
what I thought was just a beautiful sermon that essentially said uh, the very first thing uh, is learning that God loves you. That's the fuel where it all must flow out of. And we're going to learn that and forget it and learn that and forget it, but that is the essential piece operating out of God's beloved nature toward us. And then Claire got up last week and uh, said, I don't know if you've heard the sermon yet, Deva, but she titled it, Deva Owes Me a Gimlet. That was her actual title for the sermon. You can go online and listen to it. And she said that because uh, as she was sitting listening to you, it was one of those ones every once in a while when you're going to preach the next week and you're listening to the sermon the week before, uh, when you hear it, it's so good and so challenging that you have to cross out a lot of what you've already prepared and then start over. That's what she had to do. And so what she said is basically based on uh, when Jesus unrolls the scroll and says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives. Uh, she said that any ministry that you do also has to flow out of your belovedness or else it, it, it ends up, um, like in 1 Corinthians, uh, sort of um, like it, it, it ends up in a dissonant chord if it's not done by love. So today we're going to continue that theme. I think uh, in Epiphany, uh, we are learning to love. And so uh, you just heard from Jeremiah. We're going to get to that in a second. But I want to go back to the passage from the Gospels as well. Uh, because Jesus and Jeremiah were both prophets. And today we're going to learn what, how prophets teach us to learn to love. And so here's the movement. And you can, any, you know, if it's Ezekiel... If it's Daniel, if it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, here's the movement when prophets get a word from God. Number one, God asks them to send a message to a person or a group of people. Same with Jonah, right? So God says, I am sending you to these people. The second movement is typically some sort of a who, me, from the prophet. Like, I'm not good enough, I'm just a boy or a girl, I don't know what I'm doing, it's this resistance to that summons. And I love that that's in the scripture almost every time because I, don't, I sort of grew up in a culture where like you prayed that God wouldn't send you to Africa because you didn't want to go there, but you were supposed to say yes no matter what and you were supposed to say yes right away no matter what because you know, God's good plans for you are good and, and, and I can discern them totally perfectly because I've done that uh, really well my whole life. Uh, and, but, but in the scriptures, you have this, this echo of no, 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 I don't want to go. No, Moses does it. Almost everyone does it. You're going to learn that Jeremiah does it. And then the third movement is that God's spirit infuses the prophet with power to press on. Not by trying hard, not by a pep talk, but by an infusion of power. So we're going we're to see how that works. But I want to go back to uh, the passage we've been in the last couple weeks, uh, Luke 4, this beautiful passage where Jesus preaches in the synagogue, he unrolls the scroll, it's Isaiah 61, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Um, so I'm going to, um, even though this is large print, I have to still take off my glasses. Bifocals are, by Warby Porker are on order, by the way. I just want you all to know that. Um, praise God for that. So uh, verse 18, uh, and this was last week, the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus said, is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So this is a big moment. And it's interesting that in Isaiah 61, if you read the very next verse after to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, it's, and the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus chooses to leave that out for some reason. <laughs> is he doing an edit? I don't know but he leaves it out. It's a pretty important piece, right? Um, and so um, then uh, we read uh, in verse 22, um, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They, the people in the synagogue, said, isn't this Joseph's son? So they're amazed at the gracious words, and then they ask, isn't this Joseph's son? Uh, all play question. If you're new around here, all plays are designed to get to the voice of the chorus more than just the solo. What are they asking? Isn't this Joseph's son? What are they asking? Yeah, isn't he just human? And, and he's saying, like, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Who does he think he is, right? Now, we, we've, we knew this guy when he was a three-year-old running around. Isn't he just a carpenter? Thanks, Joe. Carpenter. <laughs> But they were amazed at his, at his words, at his gracious words, so th we got that going for him. But there's this seed of doubt. Seed of doubt creeps in. Now, here is an all-play question worthy of answering. When doubt is present, where are you in the biblical story? In the garden, okay, Betsy, in the Garden of Eden... Now, have you ever stopped to wonder why, before sin was present, in the Garden of Eden, there exists the Satan, the snake? There exists, doubt exists in the Garden of Eden before sin. Why? Okay. Shannon, Tim, ladies and gentlemen, that, that was like, that, you had some fervor to that answer. It's not a sin to doubt. Doubt may even be a great teacher that'll lead you into truth. Not always, but sometimes. So, doubt is present. Now we're going to see how Jesus responds, though, because in, in very uncharacteristically, he doesn't ask a question at, right away. He actually uh, decides to interpret their question. So he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum, the healings and all that stuff. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was, and there was a severe famine in all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, none of the widows in Israel. Okay. Uh, except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And there were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. So, um, what is Jesus telling these people in this synagogue? What is he saying to them? Whew, 
Nate, familiarity makes it hard to see. If you're expecting Messiah or a prophet to do something for your people, you're going to be a little perplexed when he doesn't do it for you, and instead he does it for all the non-Israelites. Because that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you're going to tell me that I'm the first prophet that's operating outside of Israel and healing people, but I'm telling you, Elijah happened, Elijah did the same thing, Elisha did the same thing. And so now we're starting to understand why the next verse, (laughs) it happens, right? And so the next verse is, um, when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, and, and like, have you ever been in a church service where this, where this happened? Wouldn't that be interesting? Kind of? A little bit, sadly, yeah. Kind of, li- wow, all right. <laughs> kind of hoping it doesn't happen here. Um, although, uh, I already did, that's what I was thinking, I already did. <laughs> that's what I was totally thinking. Touche, Karen. <laughs> They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on Jesus, on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. They're mad at him because he's saying, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, release to the captive, sight to the blind. And they're looking at that as if he's saying, I've come to heal not you guys, but the Gentiles and all the others. Um, why are they interpreting it like that? Or better, should they be interpreting it like that? Bob, he's turning over the power system of the day. How else would they interpret it exactly? By the way, synagogue people, church people, temple people, we are just because we show up all the time and play the game, we're a little blind. And we have to know that. We're blind to what's really happening in the outside world. Um, so just to follow that, that structure that I introduced to you, so the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. That happened at Jesus' baptism. So that's the prophet being summoned by God to bring a word to God's people. He does it in the synagogue by saying, Isaiah 61 is about me. And then we get the people's negative response, right? Which is, they want to throw him off a cliff. Uh, amygdala is firing big time. Fight or flight, they choose fight. Uh, so, um, and I'm going to argue, when Jesus said, I've come to bring sight to the blind, he was talking about them too. He was not being exclusive. But to be given sight when you're blind, what is necessary? You have to know you're blind, Pam. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Thank you, Pam. If you don't know you're blind, if you think you can see, and that's what Jesus says all over, if if you think you can see, then you have no hope of gaining sight. But if you know you're blind, it's paradox. Jesus is the happy coincidence of paradox, one theologian said. So um, now the Spirit infuses the prophet with power to keep pressing on. So Luke 4.30, we read, and I promise we're going to get to Jeremiah. Uh, Luke 4.30, but he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Now, suspend, like, um, the thinking that Jesus, the human being who's also divine, can, like, like, press a button in his mind and become a ghost and, like, literally, like, become a non-body and pass through the midst. Because that's sort of how I, like, the only way he would, is, you know, he, he became kind of a ghost. And he just, but I, I'm going to say that that's not what happened. 
Jesus, the human being, who stayed in his corporeal, corporeal, what's that word? Who, who stayed in his, I forget, who stayed in his body, <laughs> uh, passed through the midst of the crowd. What was happening right there? What is, say it again. He was rock climbing, yes, Greg. No one might have made first. Yeah, maybe it was like, uh, you know, when it came right down to it, they, they let him go through. Totally possible. Thanks, Karen. They were so busy fighting amongst themselves, you know, punching each other like one of those Western barroom fights, right, where you forget who you're actually fighting. You start beating up your friend, right? I think it's also possible that, like, this is um, a, a, something that really happened, but also a metaphor that that when you are given an assignment by God and when you accept it and, and you are face-to-face with a negative response from people, and remember the third movement, that you're infused with the power of the Spirit, you can actually, metaphorically, maybe physically, you can pass through the rage and keep going on your way. Now, passing through someone's rage is very difficult. But I bet more than one of you has done it in real life. You've somehow stood up to rage through a power of the Holy Spirit and you've passed through it and you've gone on your way. Not without cost. If you're going to learn to love, it's not just syrupy sweet In fact, it's probably not syrupy sweet hardly at all. It's understanding that God loves the entire world and joining God in that work of expressing it to the entire world. And there's something about Jesus that that like knew his belovedness but also knew his mission so that rage was too small to stop him. What does it mean to be so centered in God's love that even rage can't stop you? Let's go to Jeremiah, the other prophet. His story is fascinating. Uh, Becca read it, but I want to repeat a couple of of verses. So it starts with verse 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah is saying this, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So uh, real quick, um, Jeremiah means God will rise or God is exalted. His ministry was right around the time, it was after the time that the two tribes had separated. So the tribe of Judah, the two tribes going in the south, they occupy Jerusalem, the 10 tribes in the north called Israel. And uh, the the tribes of Judah, there's five kings during the time that Jeremiah is... um, uh, prophesying, right? And so um, Josiah is a good guy. He's a godly king. But his son Jehoshaz uh, becomes king after him. He's only king for three months because he's imprisoned via a coup d'etat. And a, a guy named Jehoiakim is named king. This guy hated Jeremiah so much, though, that we read that he uses a scribe's knife to scut to cut the scroll apart that Jeremiah has prophesied on. 
He's so mad, so filled with rage at what Jeremiah is doing that he threw that then piece by piece into the fire pot in his winter apartment. <laughs> that is rage. Uh, this is the time under this king is when, king, is when Nebuchadnezzar carries Daniel away into Babylon, if you know that story. Daniel lines den and such. There's another king. The next king is also only rules for three months because he's swept off into captivity in Babylon. And then the fifth king, Zedekiah, uh, is kind of sometimes friend, sometimes foe of uh, Jeremiah, and, but basically has him under house arrest the whole time. Jeremiah, we know from this book, is that he's soft-spoken, he doesn't like the public life, and he hates being a prophet. <laughs> and he's a prophet for more than 40 years. He got the call to go to Africa, sadly. Um, ah, Lord God, he says, verse 4, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. Na'ar is the Hebrew word for boy. It means newborn baby, but it also means, it's the same word. It can refer to a newborn baby. It can also refer to a young man of about 20. <laughs> ah, isn't that awesome? I mean, I just find that so hilariously funny. Just the Hebrew language. How? How, how is that the same word? Um, I'll play. What do we need when we're afraid to do what God is asking us to do? What do we need? And don't, like, well, answer however you want. What do we need? Trust and courage. Yes, Linda, thank you. A lot of it, right? We're, we, we, need, we want to find out how things are going to end? Totally, Amber. Yeah, we never do, but, but we want that, man. We want that. Actually, I heard someone say, like, it's a good thing God doesn't show us how things end. Otherwise, we would run and not do it, or we would try to control it for ourselves, and the outcome would be all screwed up anyway. So, uh, but nevertheless, we want the outcome. What else? What do we need? Yeah. Get past our selfishness. Yeah, for sure. We need love. Yeah. Space. Different perspective. Thanks, Greg. Jenny. Other people. Yes. Confidence in the call, yes. Ah, Lord God, I'm only a boy. Ooh, Sally, combination of history and memory. Where's God been in my life in the past when I didn't know? Oh, yep, I, I remember that time where I was scared to death and I'm not, I'm not, I didn't die. Um, so, you know, that's good. Um, so, Jeremiah 1.7 here. So, we have the call since before he was born, we have the negative response, I don't want to do it, which let's not even call that negative. Let's just call it the honest response. I don't want to do it. I'm only a na'ar. Does that mean newborn or 20-year-old? Same thing. <laughs> and then here's what we read God says. And the, um, do, do not say I'm only a boy. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. But do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And I, I picture this is the Jesus walking through the rage. That's what that is. That's the infusion of power. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. 
So you don't have to worry about coming up with your own words. These are, if, we, if you're rejected, it's, they're rejecting me, not you. Easier, easier, you know, understood or said than done. But um, see, today I point you over nations and over kingdoms. Now, no one else thought he was over nations and over kingdoms. No one else would have put Jeremiah's name at the top of the hierarchy chart. No one else would have, but God did. And that's the kind of authority you want. Amen? If you're going to move in this kind of power, you don't need positional authority. You need the authority that only God can give you. Um, which reminds me, I was, I was, well, I don't have time for that story, but it's, man, I wish I did. It's a good one. Um, <laughs> come to my table. I'll tell you afterwards. Um, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he says, I see an almond tree, branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord said to me, you've seen well. So, um, what we can learn from these two prophets, Jesus and, and Jeremiah, about learning to love, I think, is this. Um, if we're going to learn to operate out of our belovedness, if we're going to learn to minister out of that belovedness, if we're going to learn to love in the way that God loves, um, then we will need to learn to answer that question from God. What do you see? What do you see? And what will you say about what you see? Can we see as God sees and then say what we see? The prophets had a way of seeing, like Claire said last week, darkness, but seeing light within it. We're tempted to see only light, they're good, they're on our side, they're on the right side, they're right, they're totally good, or wrong. Dark, evil, bad, on the wrong side. That's how our brains work. It's dualism. The prophets are teaching us, Jesus, Jeremiah, through the Lord, is teaching us. If we're going to see as God sees and say what we see, we're going to have to see darkness and light. And as Claire said last week, learn to call the light good and pull it out. Amen? That's learning to love. We'll have to do that for ourselves, for the people we come into contact with. Whenever you feel that dualism, whenever you turn into that synagogue, which is filled with rage, f feel your rage. That's, feel your anger. Yep, don't, don't deny it. But then remember, like that person you're so raging at, there's darkness and there's light. As I heard Richard Rohr say this week, we're all so worried we're such terrible people. He's like, you are. <laughs> and you're filled with light. So just, like, rest in that. You're not perfect. Like, if we, like, if, really be honest, I mean, whew, you're a mess, a hot mess. <laughs> so am I. And you're filled with the divine spark. Amen? May we learn to see as God sees and learn to say what we see.